0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Have you ever had it before where you are watching a movie and your uh, spouse or your friend or your sibling comes in midway through and sits down beside you and then starts peppering you with questions about what's going on in the movie. You know, the, what's, what's, what's that character doing? Why, why, why is that happening? What is, what's the backstory behind that? All of these questions start coming up. Isn't that so annoying? <laughs> and... Truth is I think I did that to Tracy this week. So um, and I think she called me out on it, too But here's the thing for the person coming into the story The questions are so real Right as you as you sit down You're just trying to make sense of what's happening and you want to be immersed in the story with with uh, with in, in what's going on and so the questions are really really important Let me give you another example of this. Some of you are old enough to have watched the Star Wars film, A New Hope, in theaters. (laughs) Some of you, not all of you. Apparently, it was a big deal. So kids, ask your parents how big of a deal it was. And um, I'm not nearly old enough to say that I was part of that crew that got to watch it for the first time, you know, sitting in the theater. But I do remember watching A New Hope for the first time, the Star Wars, Star Wars movie A New Hope, and the, the opening crawl is what it's called. You know the 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 scrolling text that's so classic of Star Wars films when it sets the stage for the movie. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be somebody coming into watch A New Hope for the first time having no context of Star Wars and reading this and trying to make sense of the story. So just put yourself back about 40 50 years. I don't even know. Okay. This is how it goes. It's a period of civil wars in the galaxy. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome galactic empire. Striking from a fortress hidden among the billion stars of the galaxy, rebel spaceships have won their first victory in a battle with the powerful Imperial Starfleet. The Empire fears that another defeat could bring a thousand more solar systems into the Rebellion and Imperial control over the galaxy would be lost forever. To crush the Rebellion once and for all, the Empire is constructing a sinister new battle station, powerful enough to destroy an entire planet. Its completion spells certain doom, For the champions of freedom. Oh, so good, right? Okay. But think about the questions. Yo, who are these rebels? Are they good rebels or are they bad rebels? What started the civil war in the first place? How long has this battle been raging for? What are the casualties? What is the new battle station for this empire? What does it look like? And I'm sure we can come up with more and more and more questions, but the questions are real because we've found ourselves in the middle of a story that's been rolling for a long time, and we need more talk. We need more context in order to understand what's going on. And the point I want to make is this. I think a lot of people feel this way about Pentecost. Pentecost. We celebrated it last week. It's the story where the Holy Spirit comes and anoints the apostles in the early church, and then they start doing these incredible acts in the world. They're healing people. They're casting out demons. They're, there's transformation. They're growing an insane number. All of this stuff is happening, and, and it leaves us with questions about our lives and our world, like where did this spirit come from? Like, we know Jesus promised it, but before that, where did it come from? Why is He so important? How is He a person? How does that work? Is He living in me? How do I know? How does He change my life today? So that's why I love the series that we're moving into, because we get to spend six weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, but we're talking about it not from the context of the New Testament, but from the Old. All the passages in the series are going to come from the Old Testament and are going to hopefully start to construct a little bit more of a framework for us about how the Holy Spirit works and how it works for us, because it's consistent, From Old Testament to New Testament, the work of the Holy Spirit is consistent. And I think having a good context of this will help us understand how the Spirit is with us in our lives. So today we're going to—what I want to do is try to connect our story to the larger story of the Scriptures. And so that we can have maybe a little bit more of a better understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person the Trinity— By the end of today and so i'll teach through a little bit of background material on the holy spirit and then we'll dive into this text that kira read for us on two men in early israelite history who who were incredibly gifted on a side note artists imagine for a second these are people who were commissioned to create the dwelling place of god that is so cool what if we're invited to do that too and so let's look at the the holy spirit today and i want to begin by saying that the holy spirit is not an impersonal force but is a real person in our midst and i don't mean like a physical body real person what i mean is it the holy spirit has personal qualities it has a a character that is unique it is part of the the three-in-one god that we worship but it is distinct it is a distinct person with distinct activities and that's what we mean when we say it's a person i love this quote by saint basil who talked about the holy spirit like this he he asks the question what does the holy spirit do His answer. His works are ineffable in majesty, and ineffable meaning impossible for us to put into words. They are innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what exists beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? How great of a grace did he shower on creation? What power will he wield in the age to come? He existed he pre-existed. He existed with the Father and the Son before the ages. Even if we can imagine anything beyond the ages, you will soon discover that the Spirit is further beyond. And what I love about that quote is that it, it puts in context for us both the mystery and the truth in the Spirit. The mystery that, that just blows our mind because we cannot even imagine how, how involved the Holy Spirit is in our world. And yet truth because there are things that we can look to in creation and in each other that point to the work of the Spirit that we can understand. Namely, that the Spirit is powerful, is good, and is at work in our world throughout time, right from the beginning to the end. And so this means that Pentecost is not the first time that this Spirit shows up. And It's not the first time that we read of the Spirit in the New Testament The Spirit actually shows up Bible quiz. When's the first time the Holy Spirit shows up? Genesis 1 verse 2 It's right there right in the beginning, you know, we know verse 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth verse 2 Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters right in the beginning, when the earth was still formless and empty. And now you may be thinking, okay, great. Pastor Hayden. I get that the Spirit's a person. I get that he pre-existed. He's at work in creation, but what is the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. It's so fascinating. When you you begin to read the the scriptures in the original Hebrew, the word for Spirit is the the Hebrew word ruach. And so to say that word, you need to really the ending, right? So ruach, Ruach. And and Ruach is a word that actually means three things interchangeably in the Old Testament. It means spirit, but it also means breath and wind. And when biblical authors talk about how to understand the Spirit of God better, and why the, the biblical authors used this word, Ruach, To describe the Spirit, it's because they they look at all three of those words and say, what is similar between these words is energy. Invisible energy. Wind. Think about it. We don't see it, and yet it moves the clouds. It moves the the trees. It's, it's, It's an energy force that blows our hats off. Breath. If you take a deep breath, you get energy from that. You can't see that energy, but it's there. It's in the breath that we take that our lives become active and animated. And it's the same with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, if I could sum it up short, is the invisible energy of God in us and in our world. John Owen describes it like this. He says the Holy Spirit is the only cause of all the good that is in our world that we can partake of. And so this invisible energy is the cause of everything good happening in our world. And it's the the cause of anything good that happens in us. But here's the really interesting thing. God is not the only person with a ruach. God made each one of us with our own ruach, our own spirit. Spirit. I promise that we're gonna get to Bezalel and Aholiab. I promise. But first, let's keep keep talking. We are infused with the breath of God. We are given our own spirit. David, in Psalm 32, gives us a picture of this when he describes something. He says, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit, Ruach, there is no deceit. And so David actually describes not God's spirit. He describes his own spirit. He's blessed is the one in whose ruach there is no deceit. And so what David means is that we each have our own invisible energy that causes us to do something or not do something, to be somewhere or not be somewhere, to make this decision, to not make this decision. We know this, and we have words for this in, in, and, and sayings for this in, in our world. Think about it. If somebody is described as a free spirit, you ever heard that before? What are they describing? They're describing a person who is not making decisions that everyone would always make. They're not tied down to the same maybe values that culture has, or they're more open to being, you know, spontaneous. It's a free spirit in them. It's their own unique characteristics and qualities. They march to the beat of their own drum. Their spirit is free. Their ruach. So just to recap, okay, so God has an invisible energy that is active in all things good in our world. And when God created the earth, he infused us as his people with our own individual energy, enabling us to do things in the world, enabling us to make decisions in the world. And get this, In the scriptures, God's spirit can influence our spirit. Example of this. David, again, I'll go to the Psalms. David has just majorly messed up with Bathsheba. We know that story. We know that story. Nathan the prophet comes and then speaks to David, convicts him of his sin, telling him, what you've done is wrong and you need to confess. And so David writes Psalm 51 where he comes before God, and he confesses his sin to him, and he asks God to create in him a a clean heart, create in me a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit, ruach, within me. David asks God to change, to influence, to empower his own spirit to be different. And this resonates deeply with the way that Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament with how followers of Jesus are to walk by the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, walk by the Spirit so that you will not gratify. Gratify means to complete or to do so that you will not gratify the deeds, the desires of your earthly, human, flesh, body, So we need God's Spirit that energizes us, that causes us to do things that we could never do alone. Remember, the Spirit is the cause, the only cause of anything good in our world. And whenever we participate in the good, that is God's Spirit influencing, empowering our own. And now we land in Exodus, as we see today where God's ruach empowers two people with gifts and skills to go beyond and above what they were capable of, to understand things that are non-understandable. Betzalel and Aholiab. And so just to put this, even this story in context, we're at a place where God has you know, Moses has received the Ten Commandments. He's come down from Mount Sinai. And part of the, the God, uh, God and Moses meeting is God, God is going to make a dwelling place. He's going to dwell with Israel. And so that's why these two people are empowered. They're empowered to use their gifts and skills to create the tabernacle. The tabernacle that would be the place where God dwells. And so we see that one way God's spirit interacts with our spirit is in our gifts and skills. Just like with Bethel and Aholiab. We all have things that we're good at, don't we? We all have things that we, I would say, vibrate towards. Think about it. You know how the, if if a cell phone is on a table and it starts to to go off and vibrate It's going to go to the corner. That's the lowest it's going to vibrate towards a certain place God has created us with unique gifts and talents and skills And we we can identify them when we realize what are we vibrating towards? What is it? Is it things with our hands? Is it working with people? Is it a passion for social justice? Is it building things? Is it organizing things? What are we vibrating towards? The cool part is that God created us in his image and likeness. And that means that that if this is true, which it is, then there is no gift or skill that is better or worse than another. That's such a beautiful thing that we can celebrate in the church All skills and gifts are not only equal, all skills and gifts are needed, essential for the kingdom to come in its fullness. The cool part is that God not only creates us with skills and gifts, but he also comes alongside us and empowers us by his Spirit to use our skills and gifts for his glory Now, there's a catch. We don't always do this. (laughs) We are constantly misusing gifts and skills that God has given us to use for His glory. And so what we can do is we can look at a story like this and we can learn a little bit about how we might participate with, walk alongside, come alongside the Spirit. In his work in the world and so three things I think we can learn from these two men and how God's Spirit empowers them And how the same is true for us So first gifts and skills Empowered by the Holy Spirit take place in the community And to bless the community The tabernacle was the tent of meeting for the israelites. It was where god dwelled with his people It was a communal place These two men were given special God's special spirit They were infused with God's spirit so that they could come together and do something in the community and for the community They were given the ability to teach others meaning it's a communal thing They were not commissioned to create this in isolation They were not sent away for six months, and then, okay, once you've had your time of inspiration to come back and then, you know, show us the tabernacle. No, this was a communal thing. God's vision for using gifts and skills is always for them to be used within the community and to bless the community. This also means that when we hold back our skills and gifts, when we keep them from the community, we're actually acting in a way that's contrary to the way that god intended us to god wants us to bring our gifts forward god wants us to to use them to bless and to bless people to teach people to to show people the different ways that god works in the world this is the art on our walls this is the craftsmanship in our building this is the organization of committees this is so much more the hospitality from coffee time after the service when we can gather together there's there's so much that that we have each been gifted that we can bring into the community and bless the community it goes beyond our church too and into our world when we work in step with the spirit we'll find ourselves blessing communities the second thing that i want to point out about our gifts and skills is that they will point people to jesus When we use our gifts and skills empowered by the Spirit, they will point people to Jesus and his salvation. This is the main action of the Holy Spirit. And he will come alongside your skills and gifts when when you are seeking to point people to Christ. The tabernacle was the place of meeting, and it's it's a foreshadowing of Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of, of the new heaven and the new earth. Everything that the Spirit does in our world is pointing towards the fullness of our life in Christ. John Owen puts it like this, We must realize that all spiritual good arising from salvation, from Christ, is revealed and given to us by the Holy Spirit. We must also understand that all that is done in us and all that we are able to do that is holy and acceptable to God Is by the Holy Spirit working in us and with us when we use our skills and our gifts to point to ourselves we misuse them remember that story of the Tower of Babel it tells us of people who took skills and gifts right they they had this technology to build bricks but they did it for themselves to make a name for themselves Our skills and gifts are meant to point to Christ and to his salvation. And lastly, skills and gifts empowered by the Holy Spirit will always make old things new and good things better for all people. The Spirit is deeply committed to the common good of all people, and our our actions are always to be directed towards this new creation. Remember, Israel was set apart They were called to be a holy nation on behalf of the world, a royal priesthood, a people for the people. They were a community, and and they had marks of this all over them. The social justice, the equality, all of this was to be an example that pointed people towards the new creation, the way that God intended things to be. The opposite, as, 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 as I said just a moment ago, was with the Tower of Babel, where, where people existed for themselves, and they came together as a community, but it was a community for themselves. Each person acted selfishly. It wasn't to bless the world. It was to make themselves great. It was insider information. Now, but using our skills and gifts in these three ways takes trust. It takes trust that it won't backfire on us. I sometimes wonder if I or we hold back on using our gifts and skills in the way that we know we should or the way that we want to because it's too great of a risk. Because we fear failing or being disappointed or not being good enough or being judged unappreciated. And So we protect ourselves from this disappointment from this anxiety from this frustration from this loss By not putting ourselves out there by not acting on the things that we vibrate towards What can we do when we feel this way I Think we can know in confidence That we can step out That we can trust the Spirit to empower us for the good things in our world because of the cross. Jesus Christ had the Spirit of God literally descend on him. You know, at his baptism when he was empowered for his ministry in the world, the Spirit was visible in a dove, came down from heaven and landed on him and empowered him. And It led him and he of all people walked in step with this spirit throughout his life and without his ministry and where? Did it take him? to the cross On the cross I think everything that we fear that will happen to us We everything that we fear that will frustrate us that that we don't want to happen to us when we use our gifts and skills or we act on them happened to him came true of him he was judged wrongly he was unappreciated he was put in the wrong box and he was hung up on a tree because of it he was cast out of the city made to be an outsider and put on a tree And where was the spirit in his moment of need? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't there. Jesus Christ let himself be emptied on the cross so that you and I can know that this will never happen to us. That everything we fear has come true of him. And so we can follow him because we can know that the cross is just the one side of the story. God's spirit actually was at work in the cross, even though Christ couldn't necessarily see it. We couldn't see it. His disciples couldn't see it. But God's spirit raised him from the dead and brought him to new life. And so I'll conclude here with wise words from a pastor, Francis Chan, who in his book on the Holy Spirit calls us to step out and trust that the Spirit will be faithful. He says this, the truth is that the Spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or do something you wouldn't normally want to choose to do. The Spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And that's definitely not a safe or a pretty or a comfortable place to be. But in the process, the Holy Spirit will mold you into the person that you were made to be. It's hard to step out and follow where God is leading. But go there. Act on it step out, knowing that because of the cross, the Spirit will never leave you or abandon you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for um, the consistency that we can read from page to page in it. We praise you for the work of the Spirit in our lives and in our world. We're sorry for the times that we don't act on the things that you've gifted us in. That we fall into the fear, the frustration, that we hesitate to join with you in what you're doing in the world, which is all things good. Father, fill us with faith that we may step out in boldness and be partners with you in your work in this world. That we may participate with you as you are doing so much in and through your people. God, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.